Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. All right, sir. It's nice to see you again. Yeah. Good to see you. How was the exhausting trip? I was going to ask you uh, that. Flight, How was, was that? Yeah, the flight the flight home was okay. Um, I, I the day after I got home, I got this ear chopped, and they um, so they cut down here, and they took a you know they made a big ellipse, and then they took a circle of skin, and they cut into here, and they they were going to do a skin graft up to there, but then they found that the, the skin cancer had gone into the cartilage as well, maybe. So okay. they cut a whole pile of cartilage away, and it sort of got way more involved than they imagined. And last week, it was taped up from here all the way around. You know. Oh wow! So it's like okay. the day after, I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Can't do that one. Yeah. It's best to wait yeah. a little bit. How's it feeling now? It's a bit sore because of the skin graft thing, and they've actually okay. they sew that circle onto it, and then they sew a circle of foam on top, and that squishes the skin down so that it you know joins up and grows on to part of your whatever okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll see i've okay. had lots of other ones i've had one cut out of the top of here and i've had another one cut behind my ear and on, off my hand and you know it's just ongoing really hmm. is that just based on family history or is that just well I, I, had, think my when I, had here, that. I had read i had read here uh okay. and when I was a kid, you know, it was normal to have a scab on your nose and scab on your ears. You know, you were just burnt to bits. Wearing yeah. a hat and sunscreen just wasn't really a thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, how did AWSI turn out for you guys? It was really good. It was actually, mm -hmm. I think it was a quieter show than normal, um, but it was actually still pretty good. Um, I've just realized I've got the AC going next to me here, so oh, I'll okay. find the app for that and turn that off and make it a bit quieter. Okay. So you found it a bit quieter, than, bit quieter. than previous years for the AWSI? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think um, perhaps the shops, less shops were coming over for it than, than normal. A um, lot of people interested in the staff, and it was, you know, great to talk to everyone again. And it's always a good show to go to, but I think it was a little quieter than normal. Hmm. How many years have you been going? Well, I used to do um, one on the East Coast down in Florida. It was called Surf Expo, and I think I did oh, that for yeah. 25 years. Whoa. Okay. And I've done quite a few AWSI shows as well. Hmm. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, just getting the, yeah, <laughs> been yeah. in this for a little while then, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. How did you get into Axis? How how did the whole company start? Uh, do you want Axis or you want the beginning? I want the beginning. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I guess it started. I, I grew up in in Rossay Bay, which is not far from where I live now. <clears throat> and we had, uh, you know, I had a little sailing boat and I learned to sail and, you know, I was down the beach every day. That's what we did. We're down the beach. And then windsurfing was sort of started and invented. And my friends got windsurfers and I wanted one and my parents wouldn't buy me one. Uh, but they helped me build one. And uh, I built it at home 
and it, I built it out of polystyrene with a, a plywood laminate on the outside. And I actually built the mast and I built the sail and all the various bits and pieces of it and put it together and, and made my first windsurfer. Oh, nice. um, with the help of my mother, she helped a lot. Um, <laughs> I think my parents had big plans of me going to university and doing marine biology or something, but I was... Um, I got so into manufacturing and building things that I just ended up doing that. Um, I built a few windsurfers and I ended up um, getting sponsored by a company just down the road. Uh, and that was called Windtoys Hawaii. It was a New Zealand branch of the Hawaii one. And oh, cool. They taught me how to laminate and I built boards for them for quite a few years. And then I think when I was about 19 or 20, I moved to Hawaii. And she worked for Windsurfing Hawaii in Oahu in Kailua Bay. Um, and then everyone kept coming back and saying how windy it was in Maui. So ended up going to Maui and I got a job um, uh, laminating for Jimmy Lewis, who was um, doing, he had the Sailboards Maui factory, up Baldwin Ave in Paia. Uh, and it was a business that was run by Fred Haywood and Mike Walsh. So it was the early speed sailing days. And early days, Mike Walsh was one of the pioneers of, of, of actually windsurfing on Maui. So early days on Maui, which was great fun. And oh, yeah. I worked for – I came back and forwards to New Zealand, Hawaii, New Zealand, Hawaii for many years. And in New Zealand, I started my own brand called Sailboards Underground, which later just became underground when I was building boards. Uh, yeah, I, I carried on building boards – during that whole time, and then um, towards the end of that, kite surfing started, and I did underground kite boards and built those in Christchurch in New Zealand, and we exported them all around the world, and that was a very busy time, and kind of at the peak of that, I think I had 15 guys working for um, underground, and then had a fire one Sunday morning and it burnt the whole lot to the ground. So I lost the retail no store, the factory, everything. So I had to try and get that up and running again. And that was kind of a, a huge effort. And, and by the end of that, I'd, it was getting more difficult to export from New Zealand. The exchange rates were changing and it, it wasn't really, it needed to move to China, but I, I just, you know, I, I was a little burned out at the time. So I sold mm -hmm. the business to China. And I worked for the company that bought my business. And I, uh, yeah, we set up manufacturing in China to supply for the world and twin tips. And they used our technology that we'd worked out um, to build boards for lots of other companies. So, oh, um, no way. At, in the underground days, we were one of the first to use, I think we were the first to use Polonia Wood Core, which is now the absolute standard for all kite boards. So, yeah, moved oh. that all off, off to China and worked for that. And then um, my I, the very first guy to build, to buy um, an underground kite board in the U.S. was Evan, uh, my partner in Axis. Uh, and when I sold to China, he became the, the distributor for um, underground in, um, in the U.S., North America, South America. And then okay. when, under, when underground collapsed, um, Evan basically said, "Look, you know, it's 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 too good. We need to start it again." So we came up with the name Axis and started Axis. And Axis was primarily uh, kite boards at the time, but we 
Evan got mad keen on foiling. He got me into kite foiling, and then we did stand-up paddleboard foiling and foiling, and foiling. went on from there. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a pretty cool origin story. Yeah. Huh. Like, what that year was, a was that then? version of it. Yeah, that's okay. Which part? <laughs> All of it. Uh, All of it. Um... I think I went to Maui in about 84, something like that. Okay. Um, I forget dates now. I'm 59 now, and I, I started windsurfing when I was about probably 15, and I've been building boards and bits and pieces ever since then. Oh, wow. So you live, lived in Maui for a while. How was it windsurfing there? Did you get to sail a and, bunch of different spots? Eight, had eight years there. Well, Maui's pretty – there is just the North Shore mainly, and I rode mm-hmm. a lot of the North Shore. I did some winters there as well. The winters are actually more fun when the big swell comes through. Um, okay. The wind's not as reliable, but the swell is just magic. And, you know, had some massive days there that are very, very memorable. We'll never forget that. Uh, I did a lot more surfing back then as well. Oh, did yeah. you? Okay. Did you grow up surfing? Um. I learned to surf when I was a kid. I, I can't ever say that I'm a brilliant surfer, um, but I've done a lot of surfing, <laughs> and right. I can surf okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So then Axis kind of takes off. It's making boards at the start. It morphs a little bit then into foils as well, because you had started kite foilings. So you're like, what the heck? We might as well start making these. We did kite foiling, and then we did actually built some surfboards, and we built stand-up paddle boards. Um, I guess, yeah, uh, our focus was kite boards. This episode is brought to you by Saladita Kite School in La Ventana, Mexico. If you caught some of our uh, stories yesterday on Instagram, you'll have seen that. I just got in a couple epic days of downwinding. We got a 10-kilometer downwinder done with my buddy Mickey from Salt Spring Island. Today, I got in an epic one with my friend Britt. Um, we went from Latuna all the way to the beach and back. Um heck of a fun time. If you're looking to learn, there's nothing better than getting a lesson from the pros at Saladita Kite School. They are positioned at Latuna, and now that I've been here a little while, I've gotten the opportunity to visit to a couple different spots. It is one of the more beginner-friendly beaches with some nice sand so you're not walking on any rocks. Um, They do offer professional jet ski-assisted kite and wing foil lessons. Um, so once again, they're at Latuna. So if you want to grab a beer after, grab some ice cream, grab anything, it is a nice little hub there. So you're not just stuck kind of in the middle of nowhere. So they have you covered if you want to learn how to kite, foil, or looking into downwinding. They got top quality gear as well. Uh, so don't hesitate. Book your lessons today by visiting saladitalaventana.com or send them a message on Instagram at Saladita Kite School at Saladita kite school start with but it just slowly turned into into foiling over time and it became more and more mm. just foiling and i actually remember a time you know when i was saying to evan you know i've got access kiteboarding and we're selling foiling gear there and i think we actually need access foiling as a website and we sort of it was quite a conscious decision that we we're transitioning over to more foiling than kiteboarding okay and then Foiling has a lot of technology in there and a lot of knowledge and, and whatnot that 
has to get acquired and put together like how did all that knowledge was that built up over the years of working and then it it was but i think one of the biggest things is when we started doing foiling there was a lot of other people building foils and there was a foiling community there mm -hmm. and i sort of said well you know why is for example the 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 front wing and the fuselage you know most of the ones i looked at the, the front wing was uh, the same angle as the the fuselage on zero degrees but it seemed to me looking into it that you know most front wings were actually running at an angle of attack uh, and the optimum for most foil sections seemed to be about one to two degrees so i said why don't we put the the front wing on an angle to the fuselage so that the fuselage is running like an arrow rather than running at two degrees through the water and sort of no one really had an answer for that or had thought about that so there's a lot of things with foiling that we um instead of just doing the same old same old we asked questions and found out and i think uh that's one of the reasons that we've done quite well with it is because we've kept asking we've, we've never really done any um copying we're more trying to find out why how things work like when we first started we decided that the the front wing you know, and you have your fuselage and your back wing, we thought it would be the best thing to put the mast directly on top of the front wing. From an engineering point of view, it would be stronger to do it that way. So, you know, we designed that and built that. And it actually foiled fine, but it, it didn't really want to turn. Um, so as part of the control for that, we built a, we thought it was actually something wrong with the wing. But we built a fuselage with the, with the mast mounted further back and test rode that and it fixed everything straight away. And that, you know, and instead of just going, okay, we'll just do it there, we said, okay, let's do a test. And we did a whole bunch of fuselage with the mast in different positions and actually found out what that did and why. And, you know, we, I think we did a lot of investigation and working out rather than just doing the same old, same old. And in the long run, I think that gives you a better understanding of why things are. And if you have a better understanding, you have a better idea of how to actually take it forward. Yeah, because your company has a lot of, like compared to other ones, you have a lot of foils, you got a lot of, I guess, different categories of foils. And, and I find that kind of fascinating as, as to how, I guess, how all that came to be. Well, it's, it's not really just a small, medium, large sport, you know, and I think with Axis, you can start, we have our SES um, kits, which is a beginner kit. We have the, the larger BSC, which are ideal for learning to wing. And as you get into it, you can just slowly morph your way into whatever you want to do in foiling. And um, a lot of people at the upper end of it, like if you're looking at high-performance winging, high-performance downwinding, surfing, um, people, there isn't a one setup that this is what you have to have. And, you know, we, we kind of guide people and say, this is the setup works pretty good for surfing. For example, and then people go out and test it themselves, and they might find a slightly shorter fuselage or slightly bigger rear wing or smaller rear wing, and they find their own magic balance setup, and it's suited exactly for them. I think a lot of people really enjoy that process and doing that. You know, it's not really a situation where people just want to buy hmm. small, medium, or large and just go to it. Part of the magic is finding that balance finding your, your magic setup so you can customize a little bit more than in this completely. way completely completely yeah <laughs> forever forever customizing <laughs> we we do have a lot of wings but 
um, really, if you sort of sift through it, it's a if you understand the axis range, it's a reasonably logical process to decide what would work best for you and why. Okay. And, and it will narrow down to not that many choices. But it does look a bit daunting if you just look at the, the range and go, okay, where do I start? Well, how would somebody new start in that, in the, with axes then? Depends on the sport that they're getting into. But, for example, if you're yeah. getting into to winging, um, I said before about the BSC. I think mm-hmm. for most people, a, a 970 or a 1060 BSC with a, a short red fuselage and a, a 400 original uh, rear wing or, or a 440 original rear wing um, and a 75 aluminium mast, you can't get better than that for learning on. And um, right. I think foiling is a journey and I think it shouldn't be rushed. I think too many people try and rush to some imaginary finish line. You're supposed to be enjoying it all the way through. So, um, you know, when you learn, it needs to be stuff that's easy to learn on and easy to progress on. And, you know, as you, you, you'll know when you're grown out of it and ready for the next step, but there's no rush. Enjoy your journey. You know, it is a journey. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with, yeah, the, the start of it is a very steep climb and then, but if, yeah, a little yeah. bit, and then you'll plateau a bit, and then and then as soon as you get to that that magic phase, you can do so many things with this new tool, which I find is pretty fascinating. Yep. We often have that with a new wing, like we'll introduce a, a new wing. I think back to a wing that we did years and years ago, and it was one of our most biggest selling wings we've ever had. It was a nine hundred span wing, uh, and it was designed uh, for windsurfing, but it was quite high aspect at the time. And it really changed everything. I mean, that became the wing that everyone used for winging, for surfing, for prone, for everything. It was an amazing wing. So you, you kind of design it for one thing, and it, you know, who knows what it might become. So um, I'm mindful of that, too, when we design a new wing, and people say, what it's for? And I say, well, we've used it for this. We've used it for this. It does great for that. But, you know, there isn't a, a boundary on where it might end up being. Yeah, fair enough. You kind of put it out there and see. Did you release some new gear at AWSI this year, right? Yeah, we we released uh, the some smaller pro wings. So we did. We already had the one two o one out already, uh, and that had been out for a while. That's actually become our biggest selling wing ever, hmm. which is kind of surprising because it's a massive wing, and you know kind of almost thought it might be a bit of a fringe thing, but the market for that sort of wing is, is massive. So we sold a lot of that, and we have been working for quite a few years on smaller versions of that. Um, so we did the uh, 1121, 1051, 1001, and 951. The 951 is the one that Edo was riding in the uh, M20. Uh, oh, okay. Also. So that's, that's a very, very fast, competition downwinding wing but it actually still it, it's pretty good for prone surfing it's kind of like a, a sped up speed type surfing it's not what you'd normally imagine but it does actually work it turns beautifully so it's still nice for surfing and it's great for winging so it's actually quite a purpose wing we also had the spitfire that we released a while back and that has been a, just a massive turning point um, it's been really really popular and it's been really amazing to have a, a proper, really good surfing wing in 
Uh, and we added at AWSI a 720 version of it, a slightly smaller one. Because that one actually looks like a like a Spitfire. The shape of it is slightly different compared to other brands. Can you, like, how, how does that in relation to... <laughs> to let's say one that has more tips on it or, or that kind of thing. How do, what is that difference? So if we go back to the, the ART, I should actually have some wind flying around really. Um, if you think back to our ART wing, that was kind of one of the first um, early quite high aspect wings. And it was fairly straight across, but it, it did have some sweep in the outline. Um, and as soon as, that was about two years ago, and as soon as we released that, we decided to start working on the next thing. And the very first wing that we did uh, was also 999 span, but we called it a 999 skinny. And it was um, less cord. So we narrowed the cord by uh, 10 millimeters. And the the thickest point of the wing, we made it a dead straight line side to side. Maybe I can find a wing. Yeah, that'd be awesome, actually. Oh, we've got Siri talking to us. There it is. I don't know. That was from... Um, oh. That's a Spitfire. Go away, watch. So the thickest point of this wing is a dead straight line. So if you draw a straight line side to side, it's, you know, it doesn't have any sweep in the outline. Um, so the Spitfires actually came out of that first wing, that 999 skinny that I was telling you about. That was a straight median line. As soon as we did that wing, it was amazing for turning. And it was, you know, dead straight across. It's not hmm. what you would imagine a surfing wing would be. Um, so we, we, you know, we developed the, the, the Art Pro. I think we did, I don't know. It, it just went on for two years. Um, all sorts of different prototypes and testing to develop the, the Art Pro. Uh, with the Art Pro, the tip is so narrow that we ended up putting a – it was actually an elliptical outline, same as the Spitfire, but we ended up putting a square tip on it. We added a bit of material at the tip. And the reason we did that is that if you make the wing tip, like on a very, very high aspect wing, that wing tip can so fine that uh, the end of it ends up just being drag. It doesn't actually create lift or any benefit at all. So we just sort of oh. cut it off and, and added a, a square tip to it. And that wing, you know, the, all of the prototypes we did on the Art Pro, um, they all turned beautifully, but they were fast and really great for winging and, you know, great for downwind and all of that. And then at the same time as that, we did quite a few uh, attempts at a really, really good prone wing. And we tried all sorts of different things and nothing – was absolutely groundbreaking and fantastic. And then as a last-minute thing, we said, well, why don't we just do a lower-aspect version of the Art Pro? I mean, it turns so beautifully. And the Art Pro, it had, uh, you know, very little turn down in the tip, uh, which meant that when you popped a tip out, it breached really nicely. Uh, it was predictable and nice turning. So we basically just scaled up the, the cord, so made a wider cord. And because of the shape of this wing with the wider cord, it didn't really need the tip cutting off, so we just left it oh. kind of elliptical. With all your wings, you're really trying to get a, an elliptical loading uh, when you draw the wing, and, you know, it, it was what it was. So we just left it exactly like that, and uh, it looked the same as a Spitfire, so we called it a Spitfire. Um, it wasn't actually designed intentionally to, to be like a Spitfire. It's just how it ended up. Uh, hmm. 
I guess the point of all of that is that the Spitfire and the Art Pro, they're kind of exactly the same wing. It's the same foil section. Uh, it's the same uh, medium, straight median line, um, the same elliptical outline, except that the, the tip's been squared off a little bit on the Art Pro. But apart from that, it, it is the very same wing, and they do feel very similar to ride. Obviously, with a lot more cord on the Spitfire, it's very, very easy and very forgiving and fun to ride. So what does the sweep do compared to, like, if that one's a straight median line compared to some of them that sweep down a little bit more? What difference does that make? What I'm talking, the sweep that I'm talking about is more more the wing sweeping back in its outline. Oh, so it's yeah, okay, 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 okay. So when we first started doing wings, we they were swept right back, you know, they, they were curved back. And the idea was that you kind of had to have that to, to make things turn. That's what everybody thought. You know, sweep mm. was important to have a, a wing to turn. But as we went more and more straight, median line, they just became more predictable uh, and more precise in their turning. And so we've ended up doing all of our wings like that. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. So, yeah, so the turn down on that is, is how much it turns down from the center of the wing. And um, you can see there's not a lot of turn down in that wing. It, we used to have, uh, you know, a lot of turn down in the wing tips. And um, with, with every wing, you get a, a lift vector, and the lift vector is at 90 degrees to wherever it is in the wing. So you can imagine, exaggerated, if you had a lot of turn down on the tip, the the vector would be like this in the tip, which is kind of okay if both tips are in the water. You've got an equal and opposite force there. But if you pop one tip out, suddenly it's completely unbalanced and the whole thing crashes. Oh, that's so why. With this one, everything's kind of more or less the same plane. So when the tip pops out, it just carries on going. It doesn't seem to make any difference at all. Okay, yeah, I was curious about that. Why some some wings yeah. now are able to do that more? Because some of them before they would, as soon as you got any part of it out of the water, it would just it would be a a big crash. Quite a few of them sort of turn turn down a little bit and then almost turn up again at the ends. And what they're trying to do with that is is so that when it pops out of the water, it it's again that force is is not unbalanced because uh, you know there's not a, a great outwards force there, but. Um, we did some test wings like that and it just complicates things because you've got more vectors going different directions so that's why that wing is you know essentially it's pretty flat just with a mm-hmm. little bit of curve in it and the little bit of curve just allows it to roll from side to side nicely oh that's all you need seems pretty good yeah, yeah. fair it's enough a very, it's a really simple wing you know that you look at it and there's you know there's probably not much to it but it works really really nicely Okay. And then for, so do you, do you recommend, I guess you would recommend certain fuse lengths or tail wings or mass lengths and everything. But the nice thing about Axis is you can customize absolutely everything. So they'll try something and then they'll just be able to, as the more and more they progress, they can just tweak it even more and more and more. Okay. So I'd say the naming conventions, you know, we've had short, ultra short, crazy short, silly short, probably a bit confusing for some people. I would say most people when they're learning, like on a BSC, um, short fuselage, that short length, 680 millimeters is a, is a good length to start on. Um, it's predictable and easy to use. Um, that, that number, 680 on a red fuselage is just 
the actual length of the piece of aluminium, which kind of nothing to do with anything. I mean, how long is, is the fuselage? Where do you measure from? Do you mm, measure from point. the center of the front wing to the center of the rear wing, or do you measure from the front edge to the back edge or to the middle to the middle? You know, there isn't really a measuring standard. So uh, <clears throat> it's a little bit hard to compare one, one to another. Generally speaking, though, the, the red fuselage on short is great for beginners, um, and then on the black uh, fuselage, uh, the ultra short is by far the most popular, and that's good for most people. Uh, short and that actually makes it much looser for tuning. Um, the length of your fuselage uh, and the size of your rear wing give you your stability. So if you've got a, a, a longer fuselage and a bigger rear wing, it's much more stable. Uh, and if you have a, a shorter fuselage with a, with a smaller rear, it's much more loose and, and quicker turning. But all of that is a preset bolt together and then the problem happens when you go faster and faster and faster and that that fuselage rear wing that lever arm just carries on creating more and more and more lift until you can't hold it down with your front foot so uh, the new skinny rear wings that we've come out with they pair particularly well with the uh, pro and also with the spitfires for winging because you're moving faster if you're more surfing on the Spitfires. The original progressives are better, but we've actually sized down a lot. A lot of guys now using the 300, the 275, and even the 250, oh, which really? was kind of considered too small before. Hmm. Now, is your sizing, because you're saying numbers, and there's some of them that use, um, like your sizing is different, correct, from other companies? I, I don't know. Okay. That's our sizing there. There we go. And okay. Um, that that's an 840 Spitfire, and the first number that we we mention is the the wingspan. The, uh, the wingspan. Okay, and, and you have your core there, forty. Yep, and then and we then... do uh, a mean mean average cord. A mean so average cord. That's a really important number. So the mean average cord is the the average of your whole entire wing. So there'll be a maximum cord there, and then it tapers towards the tip. But what's the average cord of the whole entire wing? So oh, the average okay. cord and the span gives you a good idea of, of what the wing is. Truth is that no no one number tells you everything, but I think that describing your wing purely by area is a bit misleading, you know, because we have wings that are ridiculously small in area and are not that hard to get up because the span's quite great. So you know, mm. uh, we've always used span as our description for the for the size. Okay. I guess a lot of other companies have used um, area, which I think is um, misleading. It doesn't give you a good idea to compare. So you have to take in span, cord. Do you have to take in the thickness as well of of the? There's a lot of variables, like in, in each and every wing. Like if I'm trying to look at a wing and trying to compare it, I look at the span. And then I probably look at the mean average cord, um, and then I try and look at the foil section, what the foil section is. And um, I know that the foil section of the Spitfire, and it varies a little bit on some of the art pros as well, but it, it has a, a thickness percentage. So if you take a 100 mils cord, say the cord is 100 mils, um, on the 1201, it's actually a 12.1% thickness. So it's the thickest point is 12.1 millimeters um, on the 1001 
Pro, it's actually a ten and a half percent foil section. So at hundred mils, it's only ten and a half percent thick. Hmm. So you've got your thickness of your of your foil and not necessarily a massive guideline. You can actually have a foil that's a thicker percentage, but a different foil section and it'll actually be less drag than a thinner one. So you can't automatically assume just because it's thinner that it's going to be faster, but it is a bit of a generalization. Um, every foil section has a, has a camber as well. So if you look at the, the foil section from the side, um, it has a, a top a top section and it has a bottom section. And the camber is an invisible line that is halfway between both those two lines. And that's compared to a dead straight line, a chord line, and that's described as a percentage. So, uh, for example, that um, the Spitfire and the ART Pros and the ART, um, they're a two and a half percent camber. So that that means um, if it was a hundred mils of cord, and you've got your cord line, which is a dead straight line, and you've got your camber line, that's got two and a half mils of camber in it. And the the more camber a wing has, the more more curved, the more bent it is in the foil section, the more that creates lift. So the PNG foil section, for example, is a three and a half percent camber very very high lift at lower speeds but it's not very fast it doesn't want to go fast and if you get it to its upper limit it just kind of hits a wall and won't it won't go any faster and just stalls out the, yep the mast for example is a is a zero percent camber it's it's symmetrical uh and the rear wing is a one percent camber and that's actually pointed downwards so the thickest parts on the bottom Oh, okay. So then, and what are the shim? What are the shims then come into play? Because you're, you're, because you, you were saying that it's there's a slight. The front wing is a different angle of attack, right? So the front, the the whole key with shims is that all you really need to do with shims is compare the angle of the front wing to the angle of the back wing, and that's it. That's the most important thing. So, um, the Art Pros, the Spitfires, most of our higher performing wings. The BSC is a little bit different, but let's take most of our high-performing wings. Um, they have generally a one-degree angle of attack on the front wing. So the front wing is angled up one degree. The rear wing at the back is actually angled down, and that on all of the uh, skinnies and the progressives, that's one and a half degrees angled down. So if you just bolt it onto the bolt, any of those Spitfire Art Pros, onto the front and just bolt any of the skinnies or progressives onto the back. You've got one up, one and a half down. So the difference between the two is two and a half degrees. That's the important number. So if you're angling your rear wing further down, that's increasing the difference between the two. That's why it's described as positive shimming. If you're reducing the angle on your rear, that's called negative shimming because it makes the difference between them less than what it was originally. So positive shimming, angling the rear wing further down, actually gives you more front foot pressure. With any with any with any wing, you're basically riding your front wing. So your front foot and your back foot is sort of balanced on that front wing. But if you didn't have a rear wing or you have a very small rear wing, it gets very pitch sensitive and very hard to, to balance on. So the, the length of the fuselage and the rear wing gives you that balance so that you can stay on it. But it sort of also relates back to what size wing you're using and how heavy you are. So if you're a bigger rider, 
you can benefit from having a little bit more positive shimming on the back to give you that front foot pressure balance. If you're a really lightweight rider, you know, you'll find it hard to hold the wing down and actually negative shimming it will make it more comfortable and easier for you. Until now, we sort of have tried to stay away from shims because a lot of people just completely confuse themselves and ruin everything in the balance by sticking shims in there, not knowing what they're doing, describing it as a, a color or something like that. You, I think it's more important to understand what the shims are doing and place it in there to correct what you're feeling rather than just trying a different color to see what it does, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's, it's a pretty confusing, yeah, most people don't know what what they're what it does they'll have a bunch of different stuff and they kind of just piece it together so or they the shop pieces it together for them yeah yep generally most of our foils they're set for most riders just to bolt the wings on and go to it no problem at all but as you get to that upper limit and you're really just refining your setup tiny little differences make quite a big difference and the new shim kit that we've got it has a, a quarter a half and a one degree shim plus and also a quarter half and one degree minus six shims in the kit and they're stackable so you can put the quarter and half together to get three quarters plus or minus and you can go one and a quarter one and three quarters etc so you know if you want just a tiny bit more front foot pressure a quarter degree plus on the back or a half degree makes a difference it makes quite a difference so, so front foot just pressure, fine-tune. front foot pressure, meaning that you're just going to generate a bit more, like it'll just lift a bit more in essence. Uh, it's more to do with balance than lift. I mean, the foil's okay. creating the lift and it's still creating the same lift, but it's more to do with the balance on there. Like you want to balance between your feet and you need to have a little bit of front foot pressure just to balance on there. Hmm. So, Having more angle on the rear will give you more front foot pressure. Um, often, for example, when you hop on one of the skinny rears, um, there's not much to them, uh, and they work at the upper limit. So when you're you know, getting up to speed, they're very squirrely and loose to use, but when you're going really fast, they're solid and secure, and they feel really good. So when you're first riding a skinny rear, I often tell people to put a, some positive shim in there, say a one-degree shim in the rear, and it makes that rear wing more active. You know, it gives it more more downward force, which creates okay. more front foot pressure. And that helps people used to it. Chances are one, two, three days, you'll take it out and you won't need it. Um, but it, it definitely gives you a little bit of front, front foot pressure to make it comfortable when you're getting used to something that's a lot less. Mm-hmm. That's a bit squirrelier. Huh. Yep. Any Anything exciting coming out? I guess for for twenty twenty four beyond, can you share anything that's that's in the works? Um, we, we try and keep things secret, but we're not very good at it, obviously. Um, <laughs> but we are work, we're working on um, lots of things. We're working on um, some bigger wings uh, for Dock Start and for uh, like getting into the super light downwind. Um, I mean, one of the biggest problems with downwinding is actually getting up on the on the on the foil and having a, a bigger wing that lifts in just about nothing and being able to ride micro bumps that are not really possible now. That that's kind of a dream and something we've been working on for a while. Um, 
lot of, lot, lot of stuff to do there. Um, How's that journey coming? Because that's pretty popular now. Yeah, well, we're getting pretty close. Um, it's not as easy as you might think. Um, mm. We've we found big wings actually quite difficult to make, and the twelve oh one is a good example. We did four or five different versions of that, and quite a few of them were terrible. They were really, really bad. And um, we finally got the twelve oh one twelve oh one right, and it is it is really, really good. It's quite balanced. It's quite easy to use. It actually turns pretty good. And, you know, we've released that, and that's been a great wing out there. But it wasn't easy. Some of the s- smaller wings are very, very easy to put into production. Hmm. And we immediately tried doing a bigger version of the 1201, and it was particularly bad. It was a terrible wing. So hmm. um, you learn a lot from your failures, though. So it was it was a very interesting process. And, yeah, we've got some really good stuff happening in that now. Do you know what? I, one of the what, challenges for, for – yeah. What was wrong with it? Yeah, and what makes it challenging to build something bigger? Is it? Yeah, just curious. There's two things with 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 bigger wings. The the leverage is greater, so uh, it puts uh, more of a demand on your mast. Uh, I've always said, like when you're foiling, you're basically riding the front wing. That's what you're riding. So the the front wing needs to be really really well attached to your fuselage, and the way that we do the red fuselage and the black fuselage, it's quite wide. And when it bolts into the wing, it, it stops it from rolling side to side. So it gives you a really solid connection to the wing. That's important. Uh, the the join from the fuselage to the mast is really important. And the stiffness of the mast is really important. The stiffness of the base plate, all of that's really critical. If you've got any wobble or lack of connection in there, then you kind of can't really ride your front wing efficiently because it's just all over the show doing its thing and you're trying to balance on top of it it's it's very very difficult fair enough so fair enough yeah okay stiffer the joints possible one of the beauty of the like the red and black fuselage the way it's just screwed on with four screws is the the tension of those screws is what holds it really tight onto that wide surface and you know you can have a wing and fuselage that's a year old two years old when you put it back on each time you still talk the screws up to the same tension so it fits just as well as it did the first time when it was out of the box. You know, you're not relying on, you know, some taper fit to to be perfect and not okay. So it actually fits really oh, well. That makes sense. And that's an important thing. So when you're getting into the bigger wings, it's very important that you've got a super stiff mast and probably a good chance to talk about masts. Before I get into that, I'll just, you, you asked about what went wrong with that, the bigger yeah. um, 1201. And, Part of what we were doing is we made the wing a lot bigger. We scaled up version of it, but we were very worried with the, the the loading and holding that wing together so it didn't just snap. So we ended up thickening the wing through the middle of it. And um, what we ended up doing is um, we we ended up messing up the elliptical load distribution. So you really want the the loading of the wing to be most at the fuselage and then come out in a perfect elliptical load from there. Uh, and that one was actually uh, loaded further out, so it actually came like this, the curve, and then came down. So the, the the peak lift of the wing was actually you know this far out from the fuselage on both sides. So it was a little bit like a catamaran, and you had both oh, sides fighting against okay. each other. 
And okay. it was near impossible to actually control it and drive it and steer it. So it was a great lesson for us, and we learned a lot from it. So it was it was really good to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, back to masts and the yeah. mast stiffness. Stiffness is, is absolutely critical in my opinion. And it, in my opinion, it's, it's a far more important question than the weight of a mast. Um, we, we, our original carbon mast that we did, we were trying to fit into the uh, the expectation of the market to have a mast that was one and a half kilograms in weight. And um, you do that by having less carbon in it. And if you've got less carbon in it, it is not as stiff. And if it's not as stiff, you don't get as good a connection to that front wing. And on a, on a more high aspect wing, it makes quite a big difference. It's, you know, the, the wing gets all skittery and difficult to control unless you've got a, a really strong connection. So um, we had our aluminium mast, which is really, really stiff. It's a great mast, but uh, it's, nine, it's an extrusion. So it's the same thickness top to bottom. So it means that you're carrying 19 millimeters down at the fuselage where you're cutting the water. And it's a big, fat chunk of mast. So uh, when you're pushing it hard, at, at, a, at an angle of attack, it does tend to release, and you do get a, a, a sheet water release off that mask because it is, you know, it, it's great for dock start, great for pump, it's stiff, it's cheap, great for learning. But when you're pushing the extremes on it, it's um, it's not going to handle super high speed. It's stiff, but it's just too fat to cut quickly. Oh, so okay. our power carbon mast is it's got a, a taper in it, so it's um, around 15 millimeters at the bottom and up the top. Even 100 mils down from the base plate, it's about 20 mils thick. Uh, and that that tapered thickness, uh, the way that the mast bolts on, it's sort of like a cantilever. And uh, the the most load is right at the base plate, the bottom end of the mast. So you need to have it quite fat and thick there to give you a solid control and, and thickness. Uh, but down the bottom, it can afford to be a bit narrower. Um, uh, yeah, so we did that, and the the power carbon mast comes in power carbon, which is normal carbon, and then we do a whole modulus version, which is a lot stiffer again. And um, the aluminium mast, uh, it's kind of a benchmark for a lot of things. There was a recent test that some company did. It was independent to us, and they tested most of the carbon masts on the market, and they also tested the 19 mil aluminium mast. And that actually tested as the stiffest mast of all the masts they tested. So it was actually stiffer than all of the carbon masts they tested. Uh, I know that our power carbon mast, using the exact same method of testing that they were testing with, is 25% stiffer than the aluminium. And our uh, power carbon high modulus is 35% stiffer. The mast that, like, when we came out with the power carbon mast, we kept going with it. and with, with Develop masks that are way stiffer again, and like the mask that I'm riding myself at the moment, it's 55% stiffer than the uh, 19 mil aluminium as a benchmark for for stiffness, and it just feels fantastic. The control you get from that is totally amazing, and it's one of those things that's very difficult to step back down. When you get used to that stiffer mask, it just feels great, and you don't really want to go back to less stiff than that. Um, it's no lighter. It's not a lighter mast or anything. It's just stiffer. And even um, when we're at the gorge, we had the twins there, and they're 60 kg. They're quite light kids. 
when they were going for dot start or pump, you know paddle up pump or whatever they were testing, they always chose that, those special masts that were ridiculously stiff. That was their choice. So I don't think it relates so much to lightweight, heavyweight. You know, I just think a stiffer mast just gives you that much better connection to your, okay. your whole foil thing, as long as it's not too fat. You know, you're not going to go uh, fast racing with uh, a really, really thick mast. So then you're not looking to generate any whip or anything from your mast. You're looking to be able to ride the foil as though it was intended to be ridden. And then the stiffer it is allows you, it's almost like a race car that has tighter suspension. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Well, you're, you're basically getting your lift, your drive, everything's coming from that front wing. Mm-hmm. So you need to be as rigidly connected to that as you possibly can. So All right. that relates back to the joint of the fuselage, the joint of the mast, and the stiffness of the mast overall, and the base plate, and even the way it bolts onto the board. It's all got to be stiff. Anything that's losing energy in that makes a big difference. Uh, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. And what's your we favorite? A... Oh, go ahead. We even did a, a dock start prototype board we were testing the other day and it's um Ooh. a lot stiffer uh in 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 torsion and everything and it everyone noted when they were writing that that the control of the wing was that much better just from a stiffer board so you know stiffness i think is critical through every part of your whole entire setup and all the joins between your whole entire setup top and bottom and that's something more new right coming oh it's just it's another thing that we're working on yeah. okay okay fair enough yeah. huh what's your favorite setup of your own gear that you love to ride um mainly what i do is winging and in my local conditions here uh and in, in light or moderate winds i use the art pro 1051 and i use it with an ultra short advanced fuselage i use uh, a Three six two by fifty skinny. Um, I use one of my own fancy masts, uh, yeah. and that's my kind of favourite setup for most most of the conditions I go out in. If it's um, a bit wild or there's more surf for surfing, I'll go out on, on a nine hundred or an eight forty Spitfire, but I leave everything else just the same, and that does me. So you know, I don't need too much gear, <laughs> even yeah. though you have access to all of it. Yeah. 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 That's cool. How was your first foil ride like? Like, what did that make you feel like? Um, it's kind of a magic feeling. Like, if you think back to learning to foil, um, I think back to right back to the beginning when I was sailing a small yacht when I was a kid and it was bang, 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 and then learning to surf. And, you know, you're always looking for a glassy day so that it's smooth and not bang, 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 bang. Mm-hmm. And then windsurfing, I mean, that was absolutely pounding on your knees. Oh, yeah. it, you know, it thrashes you. And kite surfing, same. Absolutely yeah. thrashing, bang, 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 bang. And then all of a sudden foiling, you know, it's just smooth. You get up and there's just, yeah, you know, just yeah. going along. It's a magic feeling and it takes a little bit to get over that. <clears throat> yeah. How are the, like, whereabouts sure are you, you in New Zealand? Totally over that. No, um, I don't, th- I'm I don't just, think so. Yep, yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. I'm just north of Auckland, and we're in a, a peninsula that sticks out. It's called Wangapra Peninsula, and we've got beaches facing every which way. 
So it means which, whichever way the wind's coming from, we can find a good beach. And my local beach is just down in front of me here. And it's, it's actually coming out windy today. Oh. Um, I'll come it's, down. It's only about 200 metres away. Um, and we sometimes get some small waves in there. Mostly it's fairly flat. Um, and if I drive north from here, we've got Mangawai Heads, which is a really good surf spot and good for winging with a bit of wind on it as well. Um, it's a pretty good spot for testing. We've got a really nice crew here as well to ride with. So a lot, lot of uh, um, young kids. Um, there's a friend of mine from the windsurfing days, Barbara Kendall. She lives just around the corner, and she's been instrumental in teaching all of the local kids to get into it. And the level of the kids is just amazing. And there's just They're crazy so now. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, so it's really good to see see them whipping around doing their thing. Oh yeah, it yeah. must be pretty fun. Yeah. Um, so who's riding for Axis right now? What pro riders are are riding for you? If if you know some off the top, and and then how are they doing? Um, obviously um, they're on tour and different things. So I guess um, we seem to have been doing very well on the downwinding stuff lately. Um, and Edo is by far our fastest rider in the, in the men and Olivia and the woman. And um, Edo had a really good race season in Hawaii this year. Um, his, kind of his first race was the M2M. Mm. And he was actually doing really well in that. He, he didn't really have it planned out where he was going. And he saw everyone turning off to the finish and he's like, oh, and sort of came in there but you know potentially he could have actually won that race he was really fast but he just he didn't have it sorted to where he was going uh and then the next race after that was the paddle and moor race in in maui basically a maliko run that finishes in kanaha and that race was capped and there was no more entries available so um he couldn't officially enter that but he went in the race anyway waited for everyone to start did his own thing cut through everybody and he won that race by a long shot and he was the fastest in that and then the M2O, um, he could have done brilliantly in that, but he had slightly too small a foil for the conditions, and it's partly also to do with that race. Like they, It's about 10 minutes to get out to the bumps and the wind. It's a crazy idea. And then at the finish, you've got to go around Diamond Head, and you've got half an hour most of the time lying on top of your board paddling into the wind. It doesn't really make sense for a, for a downwind race to, to do that, but... He had a particularly terrible start. He had uh, he actually he started well and he was doing really well, but he just couldn't maintain the pumping to get out to the bumps. And he came down off his off his board, and the whole world went past him. And worse than that, all of their boats. So he had at least fifty boats went past, chopping the water up. So it was just an impossible uh-huh. mess. You couldn't even climb back on the board. It was that rough from all the boats, and oh, he kept trying and falling and trying and falling and. He actually had 13 minutes in the water doing nothing. So he gave the lead guys 13 minutes head start, and right on the um, in the, on the corner at China Walls, he was about 50 feet behind the leader. So he was 13 minutes faster than them across the channel, which is quite something. Oh boy! Um, Olivia won that race in the women's, but she also had her challenges as well getting on the corner. And, uh, yeah just the tricky conditions of that race. Hmm, fair enough. Um, I'm, the next race that we've got coming up is 
there's a downwind race in France. So uh, it's in October, end of October, and uh, Olivia's going in it, Edo's going in it, and Olivia's assured me that it's a, a proper race this time with a proper start and proper bumps all the way start to finish. So it'll be more of a fair race uh, as to who does what. And be really right. interesting to see how everyone goes in that. We had a bunch of riders in the M2O. I think there's 11 riders riding Axis, and they all did they all did pretty well. Um, Kai Lenny chose to ride our stuff. Um, he's not officially uh, an Axis rider. Kai rides what rides whatever he wants to ride, and he 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 liked our beer, gear better than anyone else's, and chose to ride it in the M2O, which is pretty cool. Oh yeah, no, because I've talked to. Um, I've had a couple schools on the podcast, and both of them are running Axis, and they just love your customer support, a, eh? and then they just love the gear. Um, so there's a school in Greece, and then also, um, oh, yeah, yeah, and then obviously the school in in Laventana, um, with Endo. So he's running your stuff. But, he's a great uh, yeah, was, guy. I met him oh, for yeah. the first time at um, AWSI. It was great to yeah. hang with him. Oh yeah, no, he's an awesome. Yeah, yeah he's a fun guy. But even the the ones that that were in Greece, um, reckless riders, um, yep. they were just they loved your stuff. They just said this is he had tested out so many different kinds of foils and so many boards and so many everything, and he just swore swore by by your system. So I just wanted to talk to you a bit more to learn more about the system because it's a bit more unique, I guess. Um, and there's so many yep. options. And then that's what a lot of people, my, my buddies back in auto, they're riding Axis as well. So, or some of them are. Yeah. So there's a local school just down the road from us here, Alan McIntosh, and it's called Mad Loop. And it used to be a windsurf school, still does windsurf school as well, but he, he does mostly does wing foil instruction now. And right from day one, we worked with him developing the, the learner gear. And um, a lot of the feedback from him has been really, really good. For mm. developing what we've developed now and as you say i think the gear is you, you know we have gear from the the very beginner all the way to the very most experienced rider um yeah we have a lot of uh, full-on prone riders that are um team riders as well based all around the world and lots of downwind riders and wingers and you know we have uh as we develop new gear not the beginner gear but more of the upper upper range Every time we develop a new wing, we look at our range of riders and kind of go, yep, he'd be good, he'd be good. And it depends on what they do, their conditions and their size and whatever. So we'll send it off to all of them and, and get feedback from them. Okay. The very best feedback that I trust the most is from myself. Um, but sadly, uh, where it seems to be going with a super small, high-spec fast wings, it's moved a bit beyond what I'm comfortable riding anymore. So okay. it is good to ride and test myself as much as possible. Um, we're having to rely more and more on you know, key team riders that we work closely with that, that I want to take it to another place to what we're doing now. <laughs> well, yeah, they're so young and throwing yeah. so many tricks now. It's, it's absolutely insane. But okay, so yeah. you're you're still primary testing then because you have all that years of experience to see what you want to do like are you drawing a lot of this stuff in the computer is it using a lot of software to come up with what you're looking to achieve or is it more we, just we do use that uh, a lot um, and i guess probably about three years ago 
um, the guy I designed, Kevin, that I designed a lot of the foils with, um, he ran simulation on a lot of the wings we had already. It was the HPS, the ART, um, some BSC wings, and it gives a lot of information and a lot of different graphs. But one of the graphs was basically uh, a lift to speed uh, graph, and it sort of shows for a given weight. You can test all of the wings on the same weight uh, of rider. Uh, it's just the front wing alone. And it plotted all these graphs, and I could see that, you know, you can see where a wing starts, where it actually takes off, and then where where the, the drag actually drops down to its most efficient, so where it's fastest, and then the drag sort of comes back up again. So it's like a, you know, this sort of shape curve. Um, and then some of the, the ART wings, you know, they start, they get up on the foil, but then the drag drops down very dramatically, and you get, and then you get a flat bottom, and then it comes up again. So you could tell by the characteristic of the graph. Like I looked at all the graphs and kind of went, you know, that's great. You know, I, I could have told you that. It, it was it was really good looking back on it. It, it was completely obvious that, you know, that, that I agree with all of that. So we started using that going forward from the uh, skinning that we did two years ago. Uh, and we've used it ever since. And it's a really good baseline to get an idea of what a wing is going to be like. Um, that particular type of simulation is um, relatively straightforward and it doesn't take a huge amount of processing time to do. Um, but it just tells you what that foil, you know, where it takes off and where it, how it works. It doesn't tell you the characteristics of how it will turn, what happens when you pop mm. a tip out. It doesn't tell you doesn't tell you a lot of things. It just gives you a bit of an idea. And that's been really useful for going forward. And going forward from here, um, we've been working with another friend here, and he's got some – it's full-on software. Um, like it's hmm. $250,000 worth of software, and it's wow. um, the same one that four of the America's Cup campaigns are using. And it is very, very good for analyzing stuff, but it actually does the whole thing as an assembly. So, you know, you can – the front wing, the fuselage, the back wing, the mast, and, you know, how much mast you put in. And you can do a preset course – and carve a course and you can pop a tip out or not and you know so it goes through a whole range of stuff that um the amount of information it gives you is mind-boggling and how to interpret that and and everything is kind of a whole nother story um i do think that that's probably where it's going and i think that's where we're going to get some of our biggest gains in the future but it's actually learning to um learning to interpret the feedback that you're getting from that sort of information, it doesn't exactly tell you this is what you need to do. You know, mm -hmm. it tells you a bunch of stuff, and you have to work out well, what does that all mean. So, mm. okay, yeah. So it just so at the moment we use it. We use a, a we do some some uh, analysis, and we also build things and test them out ourselves. Um, building and testing them is also a bit of a problem too, because of the way that the wings are. Now you can't necessarily build. A, um, a a prototype wing because it has to be in the construction that you're actually building in to get the flex characteristics and the feel of it. So, you know, you want to get pretty close because the mold that you're building is a, is a CNC cut tooling steel mold. Kind of expensive to build and you don't want to be building hundreds of those mm -hmm. just on a whim that maybe this will work. You need to have a fairly good idea that you're heading in the right direction yeah because and so you have to build obviously molds for every single different 
different pro thing that you have, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And now those can molds be changed, modified, or are they kind of just just we are as we go forward, we're trying to build them slightly oversized. I mean, uh uh they tried to build the molds as small as they could just so they could physically lift them. Because I mean some of these molds they're massively heavy and they have like a, a scissor lift table that lifts it up and then it and once it's all packed with all of the, the fibers and then it actually gets slid into a into a, a heat press and you know, to be able to maneuver that huge chunk of metal, you don't want to have it massive. So We've been building those slightly bigger than they want to build them um, mm -hmm. so that we can get a second or third go at recutting them. But, you know, it is a mission. That brings yeah. up the idea of the, the how is that wing made. So going back to the 840 there, on the outside you can see the uh, the weave, and it's it's a woven carbon on the outside. And that's just a 200-gram prepreg carbon. And that is um, CNC. It's like a, a, a blade cut on the table. But then inside of this is all the actual layup, and the layup is made of pre-preg unicarbons. And some of them are laid this way, some of them are laid 45, 45 degrees, you know, all different layups, and that affects the, the flex and feel and strength of the wing. So uh, same applies for the mast. I think the mast has got uh, about 60 layers of, of carbon in it. And it has the, the woven carbon on the outside, and then the internal is all uh, prepared carbon. Um, with there is a core, not much core, because there's not much room for a core, and the mask, but there is some core as well. Same with the wings. Okay, so then, is there anything else that you'd want to cover and tell people about your cool access company? And by the way, I met your designer of your shirt there. And um, yep. super nice guy, and it was awesome to talk Richie. to him about yeah. how he he worked on on just the whole branding aspect of that logo. I really like it. It's a pretty cool logo. So he's a he's a mate from the early days of windsurfing, and you know, I remember going in a windsurfing competition when I was twenty one, and he he beat me <laughs> way back then. Never got over it. No, fair but, enough. Um, he came on board, I guess, a couple of years ago. And um, he's done all of the, you know, the graphics for the bags and uh, the new screw boxes and a lot of stuff that's um, been, you know, a lot of new stuff to, to work on. And he's really put it all together amazingly. And all the parts look like they're supposed to be together now. So he does a great job of that. Yeah, no, is um, how I think it was his, was it knee, his knee he just had? Was he having surgery or something? Yeah, it's yeah. Not good. yeah, it's not yeah good. that was too bad. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he yeah. heals up and he gets us that. But yeah, yeah, well, he hasn't had the surgery yet. He's still okay. Waiting to get that done. So okay, be a little ways off. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um. So, if anybody's looking to get into foiling and and what else do you think they would need to know about Axis that would make it their kind of go to? Uh, I think I mean, there's obviously a lot of mate, a lot of information on AxisFoils.com. Um, we also have a Facebook group that's nothing to do with us. It's not actually our group, and it's called Axis Foil Riders, and that's just anyone that wants to be on there. And they're a really supportive community, and that's been quite amazing to watch that develop. And, you know, people go on there and ask a question. You know, I just 
changing over to Axis and I've been writing this, this and this and what, how does that relate to the Axis range and what would I like and what would work for what I'm trying to do and you know there's a bunch of people come on there and, and give really useful helpful feedback and it's been amazing to watch and see how that how well that works um, hmm. yeah very proud of that community on there and how they support everyone else it's great to see it's pretty cool of that stuff eh? hey i had a technical question actually yeah. um do you know how the the armstrong fuse goes through so they have their mass and it's a hole and it goes through and then there's bolt-on ones so do you know what the like obviously they're using titanium core and then on the one that i have and it just kind of snaps through that center is there an advantage to doing that versus just doing bolt-on like I said, with a bolt-on before, you know, you can mm-hmm. have it one year, two years old, and each time you bolt it together, can, the connection is just as good as the day it was oh, first okay. put together. Okay. With a lot of those uh, taper fit, there's a few companies do uh, like a, a taper fit. One piece goes into a hole, and, you know, the idea is that they fit perfectly and make a really good join, but over time, that can wear. Um, it's carbon on carbon, and, it, you know, it, it, doesn't provide the support it does when it was brand new so i prefer to have um, a fit that goes together and is held together by bolts okay bolts don't actually um like if you look at our our mast joint to the fuselage joint for example the bolts are there to hold it together but they don't actually take much load the load is actually held by the the bit that fits into the fuselage that Mm. actually takes the load okay and thoughts on the, bolt, the new... The bolts just stop it from falling off. Oh, fair enough. Okay. And thoughts about monoblocks that are coming, that are already preset, you just pick it and go? It, you know, it's a it's a way of doing it. But the problem with that is that it's not so versatile. So, um, for example, with the axis setup, the front wing comes off the fuselage and you can just stick another wing on there. So... If you have a, a system where the front wing has a fuselage or a portion of the fuselage, um, every time you buy that wing, you have to buy that fuselage with it as well. And mm. We also have um, fuselage where the mast is further forward, fuselage, and where the fuselage is further, the mast is mounted further back in the fuselage. It makes a big difference depending on what you want to do. So you lose the ability to have that adjustability. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. That's a good point. Huh. I, I, I think most of the stuff we do is is there for a reason. It's not just for you know, try to think it out, and we try to make it so that it's as modular as possible and does go forward. And you can build whatever you possibly want to ride out of all the bits. Okay, fair enough. So, are you going to get out for uh, maybe a quick little session this afternoon, or? No, I can't. This, yeah, I've, you're, this, you're, um, I've had a, a, a chunk cut out of my ear, and I've got the stitches coming out in a couple of days. So, fair enough. You're going to rest until then. Yeah. Nice. So, what, what are you going to work on then yeah. this afternoon? Um, I'm going to do some emails. Hey, <laughs> yeah, organize a few things. I'm actually um, organizing for that event in France too. I've got to send a bunch of stuff to various writers over there, getting ready for that. Okay. Um, I'm actually leaving on Friday for a, a family holiday in Indonesia. Um, so I've got oh, two cool. weeks exploring around there. Then I'm flying to China to pick up some stuff and see the factories. And then flying to France for the uh, the event. 
uh, right. for a week or so, and then coming back to Indonesia for a week, then back to New Zealand for two weeks, and then we've got the Marimbula Classic in Australia, um, which looking forward to. That should be a great event. So, oh, nice. How, how has that been to be yeah. able to see so many of the different spots around the world with your own company? How does that make you feel? Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. And I, I've, uh, I've met a lot of people over the years traveling, and I really enjoy the privilege of privilege of being able to do that and mm. feel like I've got a lot of good friends that, you know, I maybe only spend a week or so here and there, but, you know, they're friends all around the world and it's great to, to be able to do that. It's a pretty cool community, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. How do yeah. you find the different companies working together? Are they fairly, fairly friendly? I guess, obviously there's some stuff you have to hold secret, but um, how's, how's working we just, in there? We just, we just do our own thing. Okay. You know, we right. don't really, don't really have much to do with any other companies. We just do our own thing and design our own thing and test with our, our riders and just focus on that. Yeah, that's what Keith from KT was saying as well for board design. He said, I just we just focus on our own and everybody should, yeah, they just focus on their own stuff and it's all unique and good in their own right. So. Yep. Yeah. They do really nice boards. I was looking at one of Kai's downwind boards that he had done. It looked really sensible. I like the shape and the theory and the ideas they had put into it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Have you tried downwinding? No. I, I've um, had a heart condition for the, for the past five years and okay. atrial fibrillation. And it just it tipped me into, like, when I went sup paddling, my heart rate went up over, over 200 beats a minute. Mm. And then it would drop down to 40 and back up over 200, 220. Um, it just feels like your heart's coming completely out of you. And every time it went out of sync like that, I'd have to go to hospital and they. They put an electric pad on both sides of you, put you to sleep, and give you a huge shock and knock you back into into sync again. And they, I basically had to avoid, you know, ex, the extreme like downward paddling. There's no way I could even think about it. Okay. But they've actually done all repairs on that now. I've had the operation to fix it. Um, been a year almost now, um, and it seems to be pretty good. So, oh, nice. Glad I'd like to, hear. to try and start getting into that. I'd like to try and learn to dock start this summer, but we'll see oh. how that goes. If you do that, you send yeah. us over some videos. <laughs> we'll do. Yeah. We've got um, just at the local beach, and the next one, we have a floating pontoon that goes in for the whole okay. summer. And it's okay. really good for learning to, to dock start. So I want to try we've that. Got good setups here yeah. locally. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's really, um, it's really getting huge. Some of the, um, Look in Switzerland, a lot of the Swiss uh, ski teams are using it for cross-training. It's just getting massive. And I also think what could come out of that is quite amazing as well. Just watching some of the the more recent developments we've had with that and seeing what they can do, it's an exciting space to to watch. Yeah, it's been, um, yeah, completely brand new boards. They're They're skinny tough to get started and then the pros make yep. it look easy but for 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 us mere mortals it's going to be a tough venture <laughs> but it's going to be fun it was kind of it was kind of interesting to see all of our team at the gorge because i mean mm. most of them for downwinding use the art pros but yep. the gorge is kind of a, a very special sort of a way that's quite slow and um they ended up using the, the spitfires um, and okay. edo he was doing downwinders on the 720 spitfire 12-mile downwinders on a tiny, tiny little spitfire. Oh, wow. I guess they're getting a lot of Crazy. lift there because of the current, right? 
Well, he was, it was quite a big swell, but he yeah. was more focused on tearing it apart. Like the videos of him, he was fully surfing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. Well, hey, Adrian, um, thanks a lot for having a chat with me today. It was pretty cool to to see you again and, and catch, catch, up. catch yeah. up. Absolutely. Let me know when uh, when you got some newer, newer stuff coming out. Let us know. Happy to have you back on. We can share that with everybody and safe, tr- safe flight because you're going on your family vacation soon. So safe flight. Hope yep. you get some downtime. Yep. Yeah, it was absolutely thanks it was awesome. Absolutely. Cheers. Cool. Well, hey, uh, thanks again. everybody for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thank you.